Earlier on in the week, I was talking about how uh, our energy minister for the province uh, cited from a, a weird blog, uh, something to do with how he's defending, uh, ripping up the green energy contracts. And I thought it was incredibly irresponsible. Something has because there's no more debate about whether climate change is happening. It's going on. Glenn Murray joins us right now. He's the former environment minister of Ontario. And I wanted to get him on because, Glenn, you said something the other day, and that was that um, the carbon taxes are going to take too long to work, given how quickly the planet is warming. I just want to say thanks for making some time for us. And can you explain, you know, what changed your mind? Because you were part of the government that brought in the the short-lived cap-and-trade carbon pricing system. Well, I think one of the reasons that it's not going to work in the way that it needed to work was because Ontario, which is 40% of the Canadian economy, just blew up its carbon pricing system, which is a cap-and-trade system linked with California and Quebec, which was the only system in North America that was achieving sufficient goals. So Ontario was about 15% below uh, 1990 levels. Uh, I think Quebec around 18 and California had caught up. And California, Quebec and Ontario were the only parts of the North American economy that were going to achieve levels of close to 40% uh, by 2030. So what the federal government is targeted in Canada has is 14%. Uh, they will say 30, but they're using 2005 as the base year. Ontario, Quebec, and California use 1990 as the base year. So you have to get to at least 40%, probably 50% by 2030. So when the when the provincial governments started dismantling the work of previous provincial governments of different political strikes, because some of those programs were introduced by conservative, liberal, and NDP governments, you basically lost the ability of carbon pricing to reach those targets. So okay, not, so what what has been replaced with... What's been replaced with the carbon tax, the uh, cap-and-trade was replaced by the federal carbon tax. So uh, we are paying for that, but it's just, you're saying it's just not enough. Now, it's I think it's Im- important to mention that you've gone on to a new job. You're with a clean tech. Uh, you're, yeah. you're working in the clean tech sector. So, yeah, okay. I, I have a couple of friends own uh, a cluster of software companies that do zero-waste um, uh, circular economy work, which it, it's, it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's part of a, it's software that helps businesses and governments transform and meet environmental objectives but uh, we don't do work in this area so i have no commercial interest in this. okay but you've you've moved on from your time as the uh environment minister and right. uh and obviously you're, you're moving on to other things what do you propose that we do if not um utilize the carbon tax to to um mitigate climate change I think you're saying there's two there's two tools and a carbon tax everyone understands what a tax is the cap and trade system people didn't understand uh, it really didn't negatively impact on anyone's life it was pooling it, it, it allows companies to reduce emissions if they can't reduce those emissions they have to buy them from another company that accelerates the level of, of corporate investment in new technologies uh, the World Bank says that on that kind of system you're going to reduce twice as fast as you would with any other system that that, that system I think should come back uh, but it's not political likely going to happen. So you have to do direct intervention because, I mean, we're we're now looking at hitting two degrees as early as the mid-2020s, and that would would start to create massive food and water shortages in the world for for consumption, for our sustainability of life. The the good news is is the economic transformation is incredible. So what what are the kinds of things you'd have to do? Um, You know, when we were almost a poor, bankrupt country in the 1870s, we built a national railroad. 
Uh, if we built a high-speed electric trains, I mean the ones that go 300, 350 kilometers an hour coast-to-coast coast, that many other countries have, and we started to replace air travel with that, we started to phase out short-haul flights. If we started taking the $34 billion a year the World Bank estimates Canada spends in, fo- in subsidizing fossil fuels and put that into the electrification of our auto industry, put all that money in giving every Canadian a subsidy to retrofit their home, to put geothermal in, to get those windows, to reduce the cost of heating and cooling their home, um, those kinds of things. So electric vehicles, active transportation, build a new national dream, and the the, the, if you think of how many houses would be retrofitted and that the money that goes into those is into labor because the materials are – the house is already built, that's probably the biggest job creation. would be one of the biggest upticks uh, in the Canadian economy and its history. It would also move us into a leadership role in buildings and transportation where most of the opportunities are in this new economy. And so it's the choice of, of not just avoiding the crisis, but doing a very Canadian thing to rebuild our economy for this century. Well, it's it's a lovely thought, you know, building a national high-speed rail system, but we can't even build a subway system in, in the city of Toronto. I mean, it just goes back and forth and back and forth. So how do you get these projects moving that you think we need? And if we really are in dire straits and we've got like a decade to turn things around, how do you convince people that this is what we need to invest in? Well, because we've done it before. You know, you know, in the 1870s, we were a colonial government with which was barely solvent. We had almost no resources. And we, and we didn't have any population centers. And we built a railroad, which became the spine of our country, across prairie that was populated with indigenous people, had no major population centers, to some of the toughest mountains to build a rail. But we had also had incredibly cheap labor, in some cases, like uh, labor that was being abused. I, I don't I don't know whether I, yeah no we we had indentured servitude and something right. that almost approached slavery. You're right, but I you know I mean if we can't as Canadians see ourselves as capable of doing as great things as we did in the past. I'll give you some other examples. The oil sounds in Alberta. In 30 years, we took what was a non-existent energy industry, extracted bitumen from sand, and built one of the most powerful transformed energy sources in the world. We just did that in my lifetime. We can, that's the scale of investment. Quebec built a hydroelectric system second to none in the world. But we also we, shut down the, the oil sands. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we haven't shut them down. There's, well, there's no they're on hugely on, and they're both in about double the amount of emissions coming out of them. Right. But, there's a, but 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 those are examples of where we mobilize private sector capital, federal capital, uh, provincial capital. Uh, in the oil sands, we deployed more technology, talent, and capital in 30 years than in any other project we did. When we prepared for the Second World War, we were a minor country. We weren't viewed as consequential. Within three years, we built the third largest navy in the world. We discovered artificial rubber when, when we lost our rubber supply. You know, like we as Canadians have stepped up and been transformational leaders. And everyone, every time I hear someone say, well, we're not that big a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, not a big, it's not about how big a part of the problem you, you are. It's how big a part of the solution you can be and how important that solution is to po- position you as one of the strongest economic leaders. And I am disappointed in the generations that we have right now in Canada. We, How so? We don't have, we, we, because we can just look to Alberta in the last 30 years, and we can see the amazing transformation the development of the oil gas sector there. We just have to do that on a new energy platform. I, I look at the railway. I look at what we prepared for and went through to get through the Second World War. I mean, Montreal, you go through the, 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 east, the, the west end of Montreal, all of those, all that, all that abandoned now industrial infrastructure was to build tanks and aircraft. I mean, we have been purposeful 
uh, in transforming our economy when we needed to do it. And but we, we also what, weren't, Glenn, and I'm going to bring something into the piece of the puzzle here that is uh, we neglect a lot. We also weren't incredibly distracted. Like we are a, a nation of people that are like surfing on the net and distracted by who's wearing what on social media. Like I think there's like we need to uh, reach a point where people are no longer distracted by just frivolous things that are going on, but are looking at the realities of what's going on with our future. You know, Ontario, according to the OECD, had the best cap-and-trade market mechanism just about in the world, according to the Secretary of the OECD, and we just destroyed it because most people didn't really understand what a powerful tool it was, not just to fight climate change, but for our economy. And people like you and I, who have a bully pulpit, we can start telling people and reminding people of what we are, who we are, how we've created change, how we've taken on as big challenges in the past and succeeded. We're, so much of us in politics and in the media and opinion leaders today are in love with talking about the problems and finding reasons that we can't do it. If that had been our attitude, we wouldn't have the country today. And, you know, our biggest responsibility as a generation is that we inherited from our parents and grandparents who suffered this legacy of the most prosperous, free, best economy. We are the healthiest, most educated, wealthiest generation in Canadian history. If we can't leave our kids something more than a broken planet in which they have to struggle to survive on, if we can't pass on to the next generation with all the wealth and benefit we have, a greater country and a greater planet, then we have fundamentally failed in our core responsibility. Whether you're the prime minister, whether you're a local labor leader, whether you're a local journalist, we have a responsibility to get this country back on track, back to doing the things that have been instinctively in our DNA and transformational. And I am just tired of the whining and the naysaying and the dismantling. I mean, you have a government that's pulling down wind turbines and tearing out electric charging stations. Who else in the world is doing that? So how, you know, how do individual people then become part of the solution? You go and you volunteer. You go join an environmental organization. You do. Our company right now, we have a software company. There's 40 of us. Uh, we're adopted by the EPA. We have 40,000 users. We're a lead software company in the circular economy, zero waste, zero carbon space in the States. Uh, fortunately for the Americans, they're the ones who funded all our R&D. We're a little company in Winnipeg. Head office here. We're now the, we're now the biggest fighter in the field. Uh, we just we, you look for the business opportunities to be a smart entrepreneur. There, you know, the electrification of vehicles, the retrofitting of, of houses, the restoration of forests. These are all environmental challenges, but they're all amazing business opportunities. It, we could become. We have a good aerospace. We're big in bus man. We're one of the biggest bus manufacturers, vehicle manufacturers. Why can't we build the next generation of the electrified mass transit system? So it looks like you have to vehicles. start playing on the what's in it for me. And that's the way we win people over. Yeah. No, Glenn, it's not a bad strategy. You know, nothing works better than markets. Yep. Capitalism and markets distribute capital, talent, and technology more efficiently. If our corporations started using the power of our stock markets and our markets, which was what cap and trade was about, to rapidly deploy the solutions to climate change, it wouldn't just be good for Mother Nature. It would be good for all of us. We'd have a more efficient economy. We'd have to use our resources and our energy more efficiently. We, our productivity, which has always been a thing that drags down wealth in this country, could improve.
I got to. I have to leave it at that. Unfortunately, Glenn, I'm so Kelly, sorry. Lovely talking to you. Have a great day. Let's be a little bit more optimistic and go take the world on together. It's the Canadian thing to do. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Have a great day. That's Glenn Murray, who is a former Ontario uh, Environment Minister.